Hey, this is Pastor Jesse of City Lights Church, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you and confirms the fact that the kingdom of God is a present reality in our lives that you get to live out. You get to be God's ambassador of the kingdom of heaven. That's exciting news. We also hope that our messages challenge your identity to help you understand who you really are in Christ. I hope that you're blessed by this message today. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're finishing our last message here um, in this passage on the armor of God. And I just want to ask, has this series, how many of you guys have either been stirred or reminded or learned something uh, impactful during the series? Just curious if it's been helpful uh, for mo- okay, it's most of you. That's good. The rest of you guys um, will pray for your souls. I'm kidding. Kidding. <laughs> Completely kidding. Um, so looking at looking at this, we we're finishing up this passage. We've already gone through the list that Paul gives, where he assigns these different things to different parts of an armor that that we take up, that we put on. It's not our armor. It's the armor of God. It's His power. It's His might that we stand in, and we just simply put it on and walk in it. We stand firm in who he is, what he's accomplished, what he's spoken over us. That's what we take up. That's what we put on. So I want to ask you, though, what does every good soldier movie, every good war movie um, have? When all the army, when all the men and women are gathered together in their armor, when they're ready for a fight, what needs to come next for any good movie? Speech. You got Braveheart. You got to have a good speech, right? And and I, I wanna I wanna show you this morning that that's not exactly what Paul has in mind. But but let me let me we have a couple examples here. We we need good speeches for every good war movie. First picture there, Kendra. Sons of Gondor of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down, but it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West. Isn't that lovely? It's inspiring. Let's go to the next one. I see a whole army of my countrymen. I don't have a Scottish accent. I I would fake it, but that would sound terrible, and you would be mad at me for that. My countrymen here in defiance of tyranny, we have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What would you do without your freedom? Will you fight? And then there's a little dialogue, and then he responds, I fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that day for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell your enemies that you may take our lives, but you'll never take our... That was really weak, but thank you for participating. And then finally, one more from the movie Patton. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. The very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Oh, I will be proud to lead you wonderful guys into battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. Three speeches about war going into a battle, stirring them up like, hey, um, 
This is the day that we're not cowards. You will get over your fear. This is the day that we fight, that we get as brave as we can and we remove all fear. Or then we have, hey, this is the day that you will remember and you're either going to regret this day or you're going to be proud of this day. And then we have this thing, hey, we're Americans and it's what we do is fight. We don't run from fighting. It's just what we do and I will lead you anytime, anywhere because we just fight. (laughs) Great speech, right? Paul does not give us any of those things. When he ends his description, gives the church at Ephesus their armor that they're supposed to take up for this spiritual battle, he doesn't do that at all. Let's let's read Ephesians chapter 6. And just for the sake of getting the bigger picture this morning, if you weren't here, we're going to go ahead and start in verse 10. um, Just for the whole passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the, bre- the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given of the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And here's, he's given us all these parts of the armor. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that my words, that words may be given to me in opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." Paul does not end by giving them the armor, by giving them the resources that they need to fight against spiritual opposition, against the schemes of the devil. He doesn't end that by giving them some kind of pep talk, say, hey, get over your fears. Now is the day. Your pride's on the line. Fight this thing out. Your warriors be men. Fight it out. He doesn't do that at all. What does he end with? Praying all times in the spirit. We, we simply go into warfare with all of our weapons that the Lord has given us, which is the standing firm in who he is, what he has accomplished, and we have the sword of the Spirit, our only other response in this fight is submitting it all to God. We, we don't get over our fears, we submit our fears. We don't become stronger and muster some, something up, we yield something up. We give it, we submit it to him, we lay it down in front of him. The Greek here is and Penti Cairo and Pneumatai, which is on all occasions in the spirit. So in every situation, in all occasions, in the spirit, we are praying. This is an always thing, always in the spirit. And I, I want you I want you to understand what does this in the spirit mean? It means that we're not praying in and of ourselves. Our power in our prayers is not our human ability or our intellect. We're not praying 
to muster something up that we can do on our own. We are praying in the power of the Spirit, in the environment of the Spirit. The Spirit dwelling inside of us. Does that make sense? It's the Spirit of God. We are praying in the Spirit of God. It's intercession. Him as the mediator between us and the Father. Him empowering us, dwelling in us. Prayer and supplication. He says, to, in all times, in every situation, in the Spirit, prayer and supplication. This is our prayers. This is our dialogue with the Father. This is where we're currently at. This is laying down our fears, our concerns, our, our questions, our, all those things, and our supplication. It's your requests. We, we give those things in this moment always, in every situation, in this warfare, in this life, the Christian life, we are giving those to him, yielding those to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's our thoughts, it's our, peti- our peti- uh, petitions. Sorry, I struggled with that word. I think of Haley, my oldest daughter, and there's a regular frustration in our house. And that is... Haley is really good at begging for stuff over and over and over again until she gets you to submit to what she wants or until you lose your mind and she leaves in tears. And that's not good. And this is a constant thing we're trying to teach Haley. And and it's not just my wife and I who are trying to teach this to Haley. It's also her sister Faith who you saw here. Faith doesn't want Haley in her room a lot because she knows that if Faith, faith likes to play by herself. She's in a constant land of make-believe. It's, it's, it's beautiful when you walk in there in her imagination. Like, it's her zone. It's her safe space. And she's got all, yesterday, I walk in there. She's like, Dad, you got to come see this. I'm like, okay. She opens her desk drawer, and she's like, look, I put mini posters on their wall. That's her bedroom, and her office is back here. I'm like, Wow, he just decorated the entire drawer for this Barbie to have her home in. Like that, that's the world my daughter lives in. But Haley comes in the room and Haley's like, I don't want to play this game. We're going to play this game. And Faith's like, no, I'm playing my game. And Haley's like, please, Faith. Faith. Faith's like, no, playing this game, Haley. Please, Faith, please, 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 please. Until Faith loses her mind, right? Until Faith has to come up with her own rule. Haley, you're banned from my room because this is where I play my games. You play your games out there, right? Begging can be frustrating, but what begging shows me, though, she has a relationship with us where she trusts us with her needs enough to keep bringing it in front of us. Begging can be frustrating, but it also shows a sign of deep connection. She's not going to beg you for anything. She's going to beg my wife and I. And, and, and I'm not saying that supplication is begging, but it is a petitioning. It's a requesting. It's, Father, I need this. This is the hour, the moment that this is what I need, and I'm asking you for it. Paul says that all occasions in the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, who dwells inside of us, we are coming to him with our thoughts, our concerns, our heart, our prayers, and our petitions. God, this is what I need. So if we're in spiritual warfare, if we feel the enemy attacking our minds, our our identity in Christ, if he's throwing arrows at us of accusation, of turmoil, of conflict, and we feel like we're falling apart, we are at all times praying in the spirit, knowing our help doesn't come from me. My help comes from him. Prayer is recognizing your need and your relationship. It's a way of humbling ourselves. It's the ultimate act of humility. You're communicating with the one who has all authority and all ability. 
It's laying it down. I want you to know that prayer this morning is more than something you do before eating food. Prayer is a humbly requesting the help and intervention of the Father. It's communicating with him where you're at and hearing his response. Prayer is an act of humility. See, I, I say that like Paul ends this by giving us prayer, and he's done with the weapon illustration, but, but Karl Barth actually thinks that prayer is the final weapon that Paul extends to us. And, and, it, and if it is, it's because Paul recognizes that there is no parallel with the Roman armor that prayer would have. L- let me explain. So I'm, I'm not devaluing the word or this, the word of God at all. But the word is equivalent, uh, equivalent here to a sword. It means the word has a reach. It's a length that I can get to with it. So you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So the word is only going to impact me if I am reading it or somebody speaking it to me. It has a distance. Prayer has no distance. Prayer, prayer does not just impact the hearer. It impacts people on the other side of the globe. It impacts heaven. That makes sense? So Paul's like, I don't even have a, a reference point with the Roman armor for, the, for what prayer is. It's just at all times in the spirit. I got, I got nothing else to, to, to picture. I can't give you a picture for what prayer is. It goes beyond our pictures. This is connecting this morning. Prayer goes beyond that. It, it, it reaches to heaven. It moves to the other side of the city. It moves to the other side of this country. It moves to the other side of this globe. Like if you're praying, praying for somebody in China right now, your prayer has power and moves China, right? Like this is like a whole new type of warfare that Paul didn't even understand. This is like, you know, now, now we could probably send a drone over somewhere else and bomb the other side of the world. Like I guess if Paul was writing it now, he'd be like, I don't even know what those things are called, whatever. What? Drones. We're just going to call them drones. Paul would be, and the drone of your warfare is prayer. I don't, I'm just, I'm just kind of kidding. But like it has global impact. It has global impact. He says this, to, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. He says, recognize the, the impact of prayer in all things in the spirit. Keep praying for the perseverance, with, with perseverance, stop, don't give up in your prayers. Pray for the church. Pray for the saints. Paul reminds us here that the, the church, this fight that we're in, this spiritual warfare, the putting on the armor, is not about us fighting our own personal battles. This is about something much, much larger. We are all in this same fight. The church, the saints, Keep praying for the saints. He reminds me that when I am fighting against my current issue, that when the enemy is attacking my identity in Christ, he's attacking all the things that I believe and and I need to put on truth, I need to put on righteousness, I need to walk in peace. When When I take up those things, I'm reminded that you are called to take up those things as well. And he's not just flinging arrows at me, he's flinging arrows at you. Make sense? And so now my response is not just a self-centered, just me prayer. It's prayer for all of us. This is, this is the final weapon. This is the final force that we carry, the thing that protects us, the thing that moves mountains, the things that shapes culture, that shapes our hearts and our experiences. You guys track with me. 
This is bigger than us. This is bigger than us. It's the whole church fighting together. I want you to know that you cannot exhaust prayer. There is plenty to contend for in the spirit. I've often heard people say that, you know, I just have a hard time praying very long. I just pray for like five or 10 minutes and I run out of things to pray for. That I would say you're not thinking globally enough. You're not recognizing your brothers and sisters sitting in the same pew with you. Like if, if I just spent three minutes praying for the people in this room, which we're a small church, this, that would be a lot of prayer, wouldn't it? Paul says we're continually in a spirit of prayer in this fight that we're in against spiritual things and not against people, against the spiritual force, right? And we are to contend for, pray for, with perseverance, one another, the saints of God. You cannot exhaust the length or the power of your prayer. It has global impact, and we should be praying for each other. If, if you run out of things in your prayer time to pray for, please pray for me. I'll just give you one more. Pray for City Lights. Pray for Scranton. Pray for the school system here. Pray for the churches here, that we would be unified, that we would walk together, that, that evangelism, that, that the next time Will and Linda lead a group out, they would be empowered by the Spirit and mountains would move. Hearts would, would yield over to the goodness of God. Make sense? This is the, the persevering, the praying in the Spirit for the body. Paul's calling us to something higher than ourselves it's a constant taking this thing up and walking in this thing, standing strong in this thing. You cannot exhaust your prayer. Prayer is more than something to help your kids go to sleep at night. It's bigger than that. James chapter 5, verse 13, we're going to flip there real quick. You, don't, you can look at the screen if you would like. This is James' final word to, in his letter here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with, the oil, with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Highlight that verse. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James says, hey, if any of you guys are sick, let's start praying. If anybody needs healing, come to the elders. Let's lay hands. Let's, let's start praying. Let's pray for, for you. And watch what happens. We'll be healed. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much, the King James says. It's stuck in my mind. I, my pastor growing up, I think he quoted that every week. It's stuck there. The prayer of the righteous person has great working, great power as it is working, this translation says. Tonight, when we gather, we're praying for healing. Scripture tells us to do it. 
It says, come together, let's pray for this thing. And, and tonight, that's, that's going to be the, a lot of the emphasis, I'm sure, tonight. That's what Daniel and his team love to go for, for healing. And if you have friends that need healing, if you, if you need healing, what does the Scripture tell us to do? We come to those who are praying for healing. We come for that. We come to the church. The body is to do this. There's power in prayer. It says, the prayer of a righteous person has great, great power as it is working. Who is the righteous person? If you, if you know me, if you've been here for a while, you should know this answer. Who is the righteous person? That was sad. I'm, I mentioned prayer and half of you fell asleep at the beginning of this. Who is the righteous person? I heard mixed answers there, so I'm not sure I said it enough times. The righteous person is us. I am, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We were unrighteous and dead in our sins. Now we are righteous in him. We carry his righteousness. Paul, James says, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What is Elijah's nature like ours? Similar. Is it, I've heard it taught, it's just that he was a man. He was a common man, which is true. But what is the nature that you and I carry that Elijah also carried? He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. You and I aren't just anointed by the Holy Spirit. He dwells inside of us. My nature is righteous in Christ with the Holy Spirit empowering me. So that he, if Elijah, the example given to the church here in James is if Elijah can pray that it stops raining, it stops for three and a half years. And if he says one day, hey, God, let it rain again, it opens up heaven and the ground spring fr- fruit. What if we looked at our situations, the enemy oppressing us and said, I'm just like Elijah, except I got him dwelling in me, not on me. He's in me. I'm the righteousness of, of God in Christ Jesus. So I speak to this mountain move. What if we approach prayer very differently than what we've done traditionally over the years? What if we begin to actually engage in this thing with passion and fervently go after heaven invading earth? Just a thought. Prayer is more than just hope toward heaven. It's power. Back to Ephesians chapter 6. You guys still good? Speaking of righteousness, the righteous in Christ, and, and excuse me if I feel a little wound up this morning. It says this, to that end, this is verse 18, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Who are the saints? You guys got it this time. All right. I like that. We are the saints. I am so tired of hearing the phrase, become the Christian mantra, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace. I am a saint because of grace. We are the church. We are the saints of God. We are no longer our old selves. The old man is gone. He's, he's been buried with Christ and now we're resurrection, resurrected in him. Right? Does that make sense? Like, that old sinner is dead. And what we do is we keep putting this weird, false, humble mantra on ourselves. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And what we do with that is, at best, it's some kind of false humility. At worst, it's an excuse for our sinful patterns that we're still living in. I am a saint in Christ. What if we began to express that, prophesy that over ourselves? I am a saint in Christ. To the saints in Scranton. I persevere. To the saints, I pray for them. What if we begin to declare over ourselves, I'm a saint. 
How much more differently will we live our lives believing that rather than believing, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? We will continue to follow, fall in that model of falling into sin every day over and over again because it's all we declare over ourselves. Christ has given us a new nature. He is no, do you think God's up in heaven saying, well, they're just sinners saved by grace? He's saying, they are my sons, my daughters. They are my righteousness. I don't see their sin. I don't see their brokenness. I don't see the accusation of the enemy. I see saints on the earth in Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, ambassadors for the gospel. That's what he sees. So why would we see anything different? We call it humility. We call it getting the truth of grace. Grace is so beautiful that I'm no longer a sinner. I'm no longer that. That's not who I am anymore. That's not who you are. I'm excited about that. I hope it breaks into your heart this week. Verse 19, Paul says, And also for me, that my words may be given to me in opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. He says, pray for me and pray for me. I'm an ambassador. He's, he's closing his thoughts saying, hey, you have the armor of God, which is freely given to you. Take it up and walk in prayer. Submit it all to God. And, and while you're at it, submit me to God. Give, give him your constant begging like Haley. Just don't... Father, we pray for Paul. We pray for Paul, that you would open his mouth, that you would give him opportunity. Father, we pray for this leader of the church. We pray for that leader of the church, that you would open new doors for them. Does that make sense? An ambassador in chains. In case you don't remember, Paul is in prison. Paul's in chains. Like, in, like, old school chains. Not like America prison chains, where... You know, if you make a good deal with the guard, you can get a record player and some nice wine once in a while. Like, this is like old school chains, right? And I have not been in prison, and if you have, and that wasn't your experience, I don't mean to make, I'm just being silly, okay? Lighten up, people. He was like on death row in a dungeon, right? In chains. And his prayer is for what? Boldness. Give me more opportunity, open doors so that my mouth can speak the same thing that got me on death row. My prayer, my, my request is for increased opportunity for the gospel to flourish. Paul says I'm an ambassador. He, he, literally the understanding is he is a legal representative of the laws and the kingdom of heaven. And you and I are the same, have the same thing. We are ambassadors to bring peace, to bring ambassadors a reconciliation, agents of reconciliation on the earth, bringing man to God. That's what Paul was, and we are the same thing. And Paul says, hey, I need your prayers. I need your prayers so that I have better fruit, that I have more doors for this thing. He's in jail praying for more chances to speak. He's asking for boldness and more boldness. He's not focused on his chains. He's focused on his calling. He's not focused on his situation. He's focused on his Savior. Does that make sense? Prayer is more than just a cry for help of escape. What if the next time that someone calls your faith into question, you don't 
respond by questioning your faith. Instead, we cry out for more boldness in our faith. If God's given you a mandate to teach, the next time somebody falls asleep in your teaching, what if you say, Father, give me more opportunity and grow me in my teaching? Instead of saying, well, maybe I'll never do it again. What if you're given the gift of prophecy and God's called you to that, and the next time somebody says, I don't really know if that was it. What if you push in a little bit more saying, God, I know you put this in my heart for a reason. I'm going to listen to heaven. What if the next time you were you know that you were called to the ministry of faith and, and something came up that questioned your faith, you pushed in for more and asked God and asked other believers to pray for you to increase in faith. What if your, your gift, you know there's a spiritual gift of giving? That's a gift in the Bible. The next time you give somebody something out of your heart and out of the spiritual leadership, a calling to give and generosity, and like that wasn't appreciated, we didn't squander that thing or stop giving, but instead we asked God, help me to give more. Help me, to, because you've put this thing in my heart, so I'm going to keep going for it. What if we ask other people, hey, can you pray that I give more? Isn't that, I've never had anybody ask me that. Jesse, I need you to pray that I would give more than I currently am giving. I've never had that happen. What if, what if we responded? What, what if for mercy, the next time you show mercy and somebody takes your mercy and violates it and brings affliction back to you, instead of shutting down mercy toward them, you ask for more mercy toward them. Does that make sense? This is the kingdom of heaven at work. I mean, this is the Beatitudes this is the way we respond. We respond confirmed in our calling, not in our situation. And Paul's here in prison saying, church, I know what I'm called to do. I'm an ambassador of the gospel, and I'm not asking for escape. I'm asking for open doors to preach this thing. I, I, I'm asking that he would stir in this. He uses that word boldness that we see here twice. And it's actually, it's fearlessly speak. To fearlessly speak. Paul's saying, help me, God, to fearlessly speak. Paul ends this letter not by providing us some way to get over our fears or some weird be a man speech, but reminding us to pray for the power that removes all fears. We, when we pray, I want you to see this picture, okay, and follow me on this. When we pray, we're praying to a God. It's, it's communicating in relationship with God, right? We have a relationship through communication. When we come and we lay our request down at his feet, it's in relationship, it's in, it's in vulnerability, it's in communication to him. And we begin to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he reveals to us more of who he is, right? He reveals to us his heart. And, and as we, be, we see him, we see who he is, and scripture says that, that he is a good father and that he is love. He doesn't have love, he is love, Right? And the scripture says that perfect love casts out all fear. So as I pray, as I lay myself down to him, I, I, I see him, I see his goodness, I hear his promises over me, I hear his declarations over the ministry that he's given me. However long that is, whatever it looks like, he's given that to me. And I just trust him with it. And then as I behold him, I, I encounter love and love casts out fear. So in some ways... Paul didn't give them some kind of get over your fears talk. What he did is give them, hey, submit the prayer and watch your fears be removed. Live a life of prayer. 
God is love and he cast out all fear. Worship team, would you come forward? This morning, I want to remind you that prayer is so much more than what we so often make it. And I gave you a few different examples of what we tend to make it. Our, our, our prayer for food or our prayer for safety and our bedtime prayer, you know. Our prayer or cry for escape. Prayer is, yeah, it's all of those, but it's so, so much more. And, there, and there's a calling. There's, there's an expectation on those who are disciples of Christ. Not just believers, but disciples. Those going after the kingdom. Does that make sense? There's a difference between a believer and a disciple. The disciple is saying somebody following Christ with all that they are. And, and Paul says to the church, a group of disciples, he's like, this is, this is who you are. This is how we engage in the spiritual warfare that we face. And prayer, prayer is so much more than just another little weapon. It is the main thing that surrounds us where we go. Prayer is more than we so often make it. It connects our heart to his. It connects heaven to earth. It moves mountains. It heals the sick. It empowers the weak. Today, would you, would you stand with me? I, I invite you to be in a life or to re-kick start your life of praying in the Spirit. On all occasions in the Spirit. That's how he describes it. I invite you to rediscover the joy of prayer. Ben and I and and Andy, uh, we've made it a priority here at City Lights. Ben and I felt this a couple months back. Every Wednesday, we were going to stop all of our meetings. We were going to plan a block in our schedule, the lunch hour on Wednesdays, to just spend that time, uh, at least an hour, seeking God's face together and worshiping him. And that has been the highlight of my week every week. And it's not the only time I pray, but it's a dedicated time where we're praying for the saints together, where we're interceding, where we're hearing from heaven. And it's just, it's just been really, really awesome. And, and I would encourage you in your own way, begin to rediscover the beauty, the power of prayer. And I feel like a huge part of that is understanding the weaponry, the armor that you have. You have truth and righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit that missed something, the breastplate of righteousness. You have all these things and we know what we're wearing. We know whose we are. We know that we're in Christ. And then prayer is just so empowered because fears are gone, insecurities are gone, right? We're, we're praying with a different perspective, fully in his armor, in the spirit using prayer. It's awesome. It's our connection to heaven. And, and today I want to invite you to come back to that. As they sing, I want, I want to just invite this space right now. You can, if you want to spend some time in prayer in your pew, up here around the altar, somewhere in the church, I just want to spend some time rediscovering the joy of prayer for a few minutes. We're probably going to do some of that tonight. Ben and I will have the church open on Wednesday. But throughout this week, I would, I would, I would invite you to prioritize prayer back into your hearts and your lives. And if you run out of things to pray for, call me. I'll give you a list. That was kind of a joke and serious at the same time. 
And this is not another religious to-do thing. This is a partnering thing. Like, the cares that we have are momentary, but the kingdom of God is eternal, isn't it? And what if we began to invest in the things and spend time praying for the kingdom of God to be advanced, to have eternal implications? Just, just a few thoughts. This week, today, I invite you to rediscover the priority of prayer. Here today, tonight, throughout this week, these altars are open. We're going to worship together, but let's just pray and seek his face.